Hello, my gardening friends, and welcome back to the Just Grow Something podcast. On Tuesday's episode, we talked about what it means to be a modern homesteader. Just because you live in town or don't actually want to do all the things doesn't mean you can't learn to do just a little bit more for yourself and your family in this modern, globally connected world. It doesn't matter where you live or where you are in life. You can be a little more reliant on yourself and your local community to make yourself a bit more secure in a very uncertain world. My guest today is the perfect example of that. Ashley Constance is a first-generation homesteader who moved from the big city to a little acreage in March of 2020. I mean, talk about timing, right? Along with her husband, dog, cat, and a gaggle of other critters, Ashley raises as much of her own food as possible now while working to empower others to do the same. Join me for a fantastic conversation about homesteading where you are with what you have and maybe making the leap to something bigger. Let's dig in. Hey, I'm Karen. I started gardening years ago in a small corner of my suburban backyard, then moved to a five-acre lot outside city limits and expanded that garden to half an acre. What started as a way to provide for my family turned into a love for digging in the dirt and providing for others. Slowly, my husband and I built our small homestead into a 40-acre market farm through lots of trial and error and successes and failures. Eventually, I went back to school to get my degree in horticulture, and along the way, I discovered there is power in food. So I want to share everything I've learned with as many people as possible. This podcast is all about helping you become a better gardener and a better eater. Whether you're a seasoned gardener or have never grown a thing in your life, I want to give you the knowledge you need to get the biggest and best harvest you can. So settle in, grab that garden journal, and get ready to just grow something. Ashley, thank you so much for agreeing to come on today. I'm so glad that we finally got a chance to connect because we've tried a couple of times and it just didn't work. So I'm very super excited for you to be here today. Hi, Karen. I'm so, so happy to uh, be here to chat with you as well. And yes, thank you for your patience with me while I was getting over my illness. <laughs> I'm just glad you're feeling better. So for the listeners, um, let's just start with the basics. Who are you? Where are you from? And what do you do? Yes, for sure. So my name is Ashley Constance, and uh, I live in central Alberta, Canada. So a little bit north of you. And uh, myself and my husband are first generation homesteaders, and we live on three beautiful acres right here in central Alberta. We are relatively new to homesteading life. We moved out here right at the beginning of 2020 in March, uh, right after the pandemic was declared. So that was a very interesting time to be moving into this life. And before that, we were living in a townhouse in the city, and we were doing some homesteading type stuff there as well, lots of gardening, all that kind of fun stuff. But we kind of always knew that we wanted a little bit more space, a little bit more room to grow. And so in 2019, we started our search for the perfect homestead, and we ended up right here. So where we live right now is only about an hour north of where we used to live, which is great because we can still see our family and friends and all of that stuff. But now that we have these three acres to play with, we've got a huge garden. We've got about 2000 square feet of garden. We have a bunch of different chickens. We raise chickens for eggs and also for meat. We raise meat rabbits. We have a dog and a cat. And this spring we are also getting into dairy goats as well. So we have a lot going on on this little property of ours. 
Wow. Yeah, you do. So let's back up to you being in your townhouse and you said you had a garden, you had a little bit of homesteading stuff going on. Which came first? Did you decide that you wanted to be a homesteader, you wanted to be a little bit more self-reliant, or did you just sort of start a garden and then realize, oh, this is what I want to be doing? It actually kind of started at the same time, to be honest. And how that all looked is that in the early spring of 2016, uh, March, it was actually, and uh, where I live in, or where I was living in Calgary, March is a awful month. It's always so cold. It's dark. It's like the snowiest month. It's just March is the worst. And, uh, at the time I was actually quite heavy in the throes of some pretty deep depression as well, because in the fall of 2015, my father had passed away, um, quite young. And, uh, I was kind of muddling through that and just trying to navigate my new life without my dad. And, I went to the place where I go when I need to feel happy, which is uh, here in Canada. It's called Indigo Bookstore, and it's kind of similar to what's the what's the big Barnes and Noble? Is that what you guys have? Barnes and Noble. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've been into a Barnes and Noble before. It's kind of similar, where there's like it's mostly books, but there's also like some kitschy like home stuff. And anyway, so I took myself there just to kind of try to cheer myself up after a bad day at work. And I was walking around the bookstore, and I found this little kit of microgreens and it was like a grow your own microgreens, um, kit. And I mean, looking back, it's hilarious. Cause it was like crazy overpriced, but, and like, you know, cutesy and stuff, but I was just in such a sad, sad place in my life that I was like, you know what? Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to bring this little microgreen kit home and I'm going to try to grow them and see what happens. Like I had kind of dabbled in gardening before with not much success. And yeah, so I impulse bought my microgreen kit and I brought it home. And on the drive home, my wheels started turning because I was like, hmm, what if this does work? Like, I wonder what else I might be able to grow in my little space. We were living in a very small townhouse. We had a very small backyard, front yard with grass, as most people in the suburbs do. And by the time I got home, I had already decided in my head that I was going to kind of dive into the world of gardening that weekend. I wanted to start researching. I wanted to find podcasts. I was like, this is how I was at the time. I was, I mean, I was deep in grief. So I was kind of looking for distractions. Right. So my husband was out of town that weekend. I remember that much because I was left unattended with my obsession. <laughs> and I, uh, I just, yeah, I got home. I like popped those little microgreen sprouts or the little like seeds in the soil and I watered them. And then I just like stared at them and I was like waiting for something to happen. Right. And I was like, okay, I think I've got a little more time. <laughs> I thought I did oh, before no. these sprouts. <laughs> So, uh, I found a podcast. I was looking for gardening podcasts and I stumbled across a podcast that used to exist. It doesn't exist anymore. It was called the modern homesteading podcast with Harold Thornbrough. And I had never even really heard the term homesteading before, but he talked a lot about gardening. So I was like, okay, I'll download a few episodes. And I just, I loved everything he had to say. And then I, once I was done listening to the gardening ones, I was like, oh, what are these ones about? Like chickens and quail and what is homesteading. And so I started listening to those and, uh, in true manic fashion, I was up all night. I was up all night long. I was reading blogs. I was listening to podcasts. And by the time my poor sweet husband got home the next morning, I was like, babe, guess what? <laughs> I just like told him all these things, right? I was like, I learned about gardening. Did you know there are people who keep chickens in their backyards? Like I just, the poor thing was just like, oh my God, right? Like, 
Sylvie looked at you like my husband has previously, that you've got two heads. Like, what? Wait, what happened while I was gone? I mean, like he had been at his friend's house, so he came home. He was probably hungover. And he's just like, Ashley, like take it down a notch, right? And I was like very obsessed. So right then and there, I decided I was going to try gardening that first, that first year. And uh, I did what I advise against doing. And I tried to do it all and tried starting from seed, like, everything. I bought a little indoor grow light set up and I was like, I'm just going to go for this. And while I did learn a lot that first year, um, through successes and, and failures, of course, but honestly, in our tiny little townhouse, we grew so much food. I was absolutely blown away. And not only was it rewarding in the way that it produced for us, but for my mental health at the time, moving through that grief and that loss that I was going through, Um, having something to really pour myself into like that, that was constructive and gave me something to care for and nurture was incredibly healing. And that's kind of where it all started. And so we, you know, decided to dive into more of these like, you know, homesteading skills uh, in the city. So not just gardening, but also, you know, I wanted to try canning. I wanted to try cooking from scratch. My husband was into fishing. Uh, We couldn't keep chickens, but I found a farm just outside the city where I would start to buy my eggs and like, it just kind of snowballed from there. So yeah, that's where it all started. <laughs> Thank you, Indigo. <laughs> wow. So I, I think it bears talking about people, I think really underestimate the power of being in the garden as therapy, being able to immerse yourself into, into an activity, number one, something that actually physically gets you moving, number two, which is good for you, but then also that act of caring for something and, and literally growing it from seed and, and cultivating it. And then that similar act of being able to harvest that and turn around and provide for yourself and your family. I just, I, I really don't think people understand just how powerful that is. So I appreciate you sharing mm-hmm. your sort of perspective on that because it's, you know, that's what launched you into this whole world of yours now. Yeah, a hundred percent. And it was very unexpected. Like I didn't grow up around farming, homesteading, barely even gardening. Like my mom sometimes had a few pots of flowers and like, I do remember her having a few, you know, cherry tomatoes over the years, but Um, I knew nothing. I knew absolutely nothing. I did have some good mentors in my life at the time. Like my sister-in-law has uh, some education in horticulture and like that was really helpful, but mostly I just immersed myself in media in many different forms and trial and error and just learned as much as I could. And jumping in full force, like we tell people not to do and learning (laughs) 100% (laughs) the hard way. Yes. Yes, exactly. So this was 2015, right? And then 2016, 2016. Yeah. Okay. And then yeah. 2019 is when you guys decided that you were going to start looking for some property. What, what did that three year sort of evolution look like from starting that for buying the first set of microgreens and deciding you were going to be a homesteader before you even got the darn things home and then <laughs> going from, okay, now I'm going and buying local eggs and now I want to learn how to can and everything else. That three-year period there, what what did that look like as it evolved? Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of it looked like convincing my husband, <laughs> if I'm being honest, because you know at the time I was working full time. I was a I was a hairstylist. I still am, but at that time that was my full time job. My husband was in banking. Like we were your quintessential suburban city like hustlers, like working long hours and just really focused on making money so we could live the fancy life and all that kind of stuff. So, 
you know, if you picture two people like that, who both don't come from a background in any type of agriculture or anything, um, to, you know, this like crazy little spitfire being like, we're going to grow as much as we can. Like there, there was a bit of a shock value there for sure. And my husband's always been very supportive of all of my like crazy antics, but, um, there was that, like, he needed to fall in love with it the way that I did before we even started discussing moving our whole life to the country. Right. So what that really looked like was mostly connecting through food and, that kind of ties back to actually my dad as well, because that was something my dad and I always did together. We always cooked together and he was a very passionate cook. And so the ingredients I was growing would go into the recipes that he taught me to make. And I would in turn feed them to my husband. And then we would connect over just how much better everything tasted and how rewarding it was. And I could see the spark slowly starting to kind of get lit in him as well. And I could see him kind of falling in love with the idea of growing and and homesteading as well. And I remember him like helping me harvest potatoes and helping me, you know, we went out and bought like a ton of corn from a local farm and we were like getting it all ready to like blanch and freeze for the winter. And he wanted to be involved. Right. And that was when I kind of realized, like, I think there's something here. I think this is more than just like my hobby and my obsession. He came out to the farm where we got our eggs and like, you know, we hung out with the chickens and he's like, Oh, this is kind of cool. So from there, he got involved in his own ways too. Like he was really interested in providing in the ways that he could as well. And for him at the time, that looked like fishing a little bit. There isn't a ton of fishing around us, but he's always loved to fish. So especially in the winter, he would go out ice fishing and, you know, when he would bring home dinner, he kind of like felt that, um, sense of pride, right. That sense of like being the provider and feeding his family, which was me. <laughs> and, I could just, yeah, I could see the wheels turning and I could see that we were starting to connect over it. And then we took a few classes here and there. Like I took a few like gardening classes and I would come out to a college out actually close to where I live now in the summer and take some some courses in the summer. And uh, it just kept kind of growing and growing. And then the true turning point actually was um, less than two years after my dad passed away, Sean's dad passed away as well. And that was very shocking, very tragic how it all went down. And he was the same age actually, as my dad was, they were both 54 when they died. And so we were once again, kind of pulled down into this really dark place. You know, at the time we were 27 and we had both lost our dads and we were like, okay, um, holy crap, life can be short. (laughs) What are we doing? We're not happy. Like we weren't, we weren't happy. We had the picture perfect life of two, you know, young professionals who made good money and, you know, lived in the city and did all the things and went to Mexico in the winter and like all that kind of stuff. Right. But we knew we wanted more and going through those losses as horrible as they were really, I think were the catalyst that made us realize we wanted more for our lives and we didn't want to wait. We had kind of always talked about waiting till retirement or, you know, waiting until we were older, but I know that's something that both of our dads were waiting for too. They were both waiting for, you know, that day when everything would make sense and when, oh, it would finally be time and neither of them got that. So I think that was really what gave us the true kick and permission. If I'm being honest, permission was a big part of it too, to be like, you know what, we actually can live differently. We don't have to do the things that were, you know, prescribed for us by our modern society and, we had a lot of loose ends to tie up after Sean's dad passed and a lot that we had to deal with, with that. But once the dust kind of started to settle on that again, we decided to just go for it. We were like, let's start looking. We looked in three different provinces in Canada. We were considering moving to the opposite coast. We were considering moving East. 
we considered moving West. You know, we were so grateful for everything we did learn when we were in the city because all of those skills were transferable once we did actually get out onto our property. And we realized that doing all the things we did in the city really set us up for success out here. So it was a really messy process from uh, the beginning to where we are now. Of course, you know, the only thing I would change is obviously having our dads here, right? That would make it perfect. But outside of that, I wouldn't change anything because it's led us exactly to where we are now. And as much as this life is not always easy, um, it's beautiful. And we've, we've never been happier. Isn't it weird that we, for some reason, feel like we need to either be given permission or find a reason to give ourselves permission to be able to do something that we feel like in our gut we just should be doing? Like we try to ignore that little voice that says, you should be doing this, you should be doing this, because there's other things around us that are saying, no, this is what you're supposed to be doing. You're doing what you're supposed to be doing. You know, and it's, I mean, it's unfortunate that sometimes it takes those types of events to occur for us to finally get our little wake up call and tell, tell ourselves it's okay for me to do this. So how hard was that process of trying to look for property? Because I think that's the biggest thing is like, oh, I need property. And how much property do I need? What was sort of the defining factors for you when you were looking for a property? Well, for sure, the first one was affordability. And um, the West Coast of Canada, like we were kind of briefly looking out on Vancouver Island. And by briefly, I mean, like we looked at listings for two days and realized, holy crap, the lowest thing you're going to find out here is a million dollars. And this is ridiculous. So um, it's just a very expensive place. It's a beautiful place, but the prices out there are for what we wanted, just astronomical. So we quickly uh, let go of that. We looked kind of in other parts of BC and cost was still an issue. What drew us out to the East coast to look, cause we actually physically went to the East coast. Like we were pretty serious. We were out there looking at properties for about 10 days and the thing out there was affordability. Everything was very affordable out East, like way more than it is here. And so that was a big part of it. But then it kind of came down to, okay, now we're living, you know, a five hour flight from everybody who we love. And that was kind of heavy and we weren't sure about that. And there's the issue with, there wasn't a lot of work out there. And we did know, like, we certainly were going to have to keep working. Um, that's the stage we're at in our life and that's totally fine. So that was a bit of an issue. And then when we really decided to hone in on looking in our province that we have always lived, which is Alberta, it was a matter of balancing you know, access to the city because like my husband, he, when he was, when he was ready to do this, he was ready to do this. Like, he was like, let's go off grid. Like, let's go off like up North, like let's go for it. And I was like, um, <laughs> I like still, Whoa. I still need, yeah, <laughs> I still need a few things, you know? And so that was a big part of it too, was like, how remote do you want to be? And of course, the more remote you go, the lower generally the prices become the closer to the city you are generally the higher the prices per acre will be. That's, that's what we experienced anyway, where we live. So we were really trying to find that happy medium between, um, what we could afford, what we were comfortable with in terms of location, how remote, how close to services, how far are we from, you know, our friends and family. And even like where we live now, one of the issues is honestly healthcare. Like you can't get a doctor here. Um, there's like a five-year wait list or something crazy like that. So it was like, okay, we still need to be close to like a major center where we can go to access like a doctor and a hospital and things like that. Um, and then it came down to the property itself. And 
originally we thought we wanted a lot of land. Like we kind of fantasized about having like 10 plus acres minimum, you know, and just like having lots of room to like walk around. And uh, we looked at everything from two acres to, I think the largest property we looked at had 40 and we ended up on three, which was really surprising. But the thing is for what we want to do and for the fact that we're just two people and we can be smart about how we grow and how we graze animals and how we do these things, three acres has been plenty. We don't use even close to our full three acres right now. So the fact that we ended up finding this place was really um, quite funny because yeah, it was smaller than we thought we wanted, but the way we looked at it, we figured you can't change the location. The location is the number one thing you cannot change when you buy a property. The second thing that was the most important was the land itself. Things like water, things like usable space, things like trees. We really wanted to have trees. We live on the prairies. So finding a place with trees is kind of tricky. Sometimes the property is something over, you know, a long period of time you can change, but it's not fast. Right. So it kind of went location property. And then the very least important thing to us was the house itself. I kind of was of the mindset where I was like, I don't care. It doesn't have to be pretty. Um, it needs to be livable. Like I wasn't willing to like camp out you know, <laughs> those first few years, but we were not picky at all on like the house and if it was pretty or not, you know, we lived in a brand new build in the city and everything was like shiny and new. And then we bought this house, which is a uh, 1963 prefab. So <laughs> it's, you know, it's not a pretty house, but it works. It's safe. It's functional. When we got our inspection, uh, which is another thing I will say when you're shopping for a rural property, you absolutely want to make sure you have a good home inspector. You know, the bones were good. And that was really important to us too. We can do little things here and there. We can do aesthetic upgrades. We can renovate over time, but we wanted somewhere that had, you know, at least the structure in place. We weren't willing to move somewhere that we had to be putting in water or, um, you know, putting an electric where there wasn't any or anything like that. So those were kind of our main things that we considered when we were shopping. And uh, it was a long and frustrating process. I will say that like we had started about a year before we had kind of started window shopping. Like we had started going and looking at acreages, even though we weren't ready to buy because we just wanted to get an idea of what shopping for rural property was like. Cause it was so different from shopping for anything in the city. Like it's a totally different experience. So that was like, you know, a double-edged sword because of course we would like fall in love with a place that we couldn't buy. And that really sucked. But when the time came to actually start looking, I lost count, but I would venture to say we probably looked at close to 40 places before we found this one. And I think it's even tougher now when we were looking, the market was kind of slow. And uh, these days, at least around here, things are getting snapped up within days of being listed. So yeah, it is a very stressful process, but I think going in knowing what your non-negotiables are and like what you are willing to compromise on and what you're, you know, you're not going to find your dream property unless you have unlimited money to play with, um, which who does, right? <laughs> so yeah. So I think that's the main thing is like really honing in on what is the most important to you. And another thing I will mention, um, and this is like an exhausting thing to even talk about, but the first homestead that you find does not need to be your forever homestead. Like it is very painful to even think about trying to move from this place. And I don't think we will, at least as long as we live here. But you know, if right now what's accessible to you is an acre and that's what you can afford and that's, that'll, you can make that work, then you make that work. You know, if in 10 years, you still want to do this thing and you want to expand and you have uh, more equity to play with, you can always, you can always buy something larger in the future and, and move people do it all the time. 
And I think that's important too, because I think when people start to think or they hear this, this term homesteading, they automatically think, oh, well, I have to have a five acre plot at least, if not more. And I mm-hmm. need to be pumping my own water and I need to be, you know, solar for my electric and everything else. And that is absolutely not the case. You Mm-mm. can be a homesteader or do homesteading in any place, even if it's your suburban backyard, you know, and that's the situation that we came from was a suburban backyard duplex, whatever. And we moved to five acres. And when I got that five acres, I thought, oh my gosh, this is huge. What am I going to do with all this space? And we very quickly overran that space. (laughs) And, you know, but that was because we started doing it, you know, as a job, it was part of our living. And so it was a little bit different set of circumstances. If we had just remained it just being us, we never would have had to have have looked for anything larger. Um, But, you know, we, we did make the leap from five acres to 40 acres because the five was no longer serving our needs at the moment. Would things have been different if I had gone straight from our little duplex, you know, in town to 40 acres. Uh, Yeah. And probably not in a good way. You might've burnt out pretty quick. (laughs) I'm telling you, you know, so I think, I think it's important for people to think about homesteading in different terms and not necessarily, you know, what this, this idea, little house on the prairie, you know, homesteading type thing is. And so that brings me to the fact that, you know, now that you, you've moved out there and you've been doing this now for a few years, first of all, you started in a smaller space and you said what you learned there helped you transition to your larger space. When you were buying the property was the first thought, okay, it's garden first, and then we'll add those chickens that I always wanted to have. And then we'll go on to the next thing. Was there any kind of a logical flow there? Or was it, oh my gosh, look at all all the room I have to do everything all at once? Oh man. I mean, I think there was probably some logic there once upon a time. Um, But what ended up happening is we closed on this property in January of 2020 with a March 20th, 2020 possession date. So what happened in between, oh, we finally found our place and we are actually in our place was a global pandemic, you know, regardless of how people feel about the pandemic now, at that time, things were very scary and we were freaked out. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We were totally freaked out and obviously feeling really grateful that we were moving to a homestead because we were like, okay, if things really do go down, like we're going to at least have like some resources and stuff. But yeah, once we got here, we, it was, I always wonder if it would be different if we came here, like when the world wasn't imploding, but we just kind of rushed to get a lot going at once, but we also tried to like, not be crazy about it. So the first thing we did, and actually this would have happened whether or not it was a pandemic, because I am obsessed with chickens. I had my chickens ordered before we even moved in. 
we didn't even have the house. We didn't even have the keys. And I had placed my order for chicks. Cause I was like, I didn't even tell my husband actually. Um, a few days later I was like, okay, so, uh, like we're going to get chickens right away. Right. And he was like, yeah, like, I, I guess like we can like, do you want to do that right away? And I was like, yeah, I do. Cause I already bought them. <laughs> so <laughs> I love chickens. Like I've always just been so excited to have them. So yeah, they, they were pretty much the first thing that we like really had planned for. Cause the garden, like we knew we would have a garden. We knew we were going to build raised beds that first year. We were also in a really interesting position because we had actually planned to take some time off. Once we moved out here, we had left our jobs in the city. We had actually canceled a wedding that was supposed to, like, we were supposed to get married that year too during the pandemic. And so that had been canceled. So we just kind of were like, let's, let's take some time off and let's just get settled out here. We were in a financial position to do that at the time. And so we had a lot of time on our hands. So it was March, there was still snow on the ground and we could kind of like take those few weeks to kind of figure things out. Plus care for our um, impulse bought baby chicks. So <laughs> once the snow was gone, we had our, our first thing that we did was we built three raised beds and they were uh, 10 feet long by three feet wide. So 30, yes, 30 square feet each. And we built three of those. And we also dug up a little bit of an in-ground garden about the same size. So let's call it maybe 60 square feet that first year. It wasn't, it wasn't huge. Um, but we were like, okay, let's like learn our environment. Let's learn like where the sun tracks, let's figure out what growing out here is like. Cause even though we're only an hour from where we used to live, it's a different season out here with different circumstances. So that first year we started like larger than we had ever had, but it was still small considering what we eventually wanted to do. But on top of that, we also had the chickens, right? And so now we had like two facets of things going on. And then we realized, oh, this property has apples and this property has rhubarb and there's a coolie that we can go and forage in. And like, there was so many other things going on around our property that having a smaller garden wasn't necessarily that big of an issue for us that first year. So yeah, we started smaller than I expected us to. I thought we were going to go nuts that first year. And we actually kind of like settled down and we're like, let's not burn ourselves out um, before we even get started. And I am very grateful for that because there was so many other things to learn. Like when we moved from the city to the country, we hadn't really thought about the fact that we were going to not have like, you know, a city garbage collection coming by. Right. So we had to worry about that. And then like, we had to put a whole new septic system in and we had to worry about the fact that we were now on a well. And like that first summer we dried, we, my husband, uh, love him. He dried up our well. So, <laughs> you know, we had some, we had some hard lessons that first year. So I was really grateful that we didn't go overboard with all of our commitments because there was just so many other things that we were trying to muddle our way through that first season. So that would be another thing I would say, like if somebody is considering moving from a city to the country to like a larger property, even though you eventually want to do all the things and you want to like really expand and get going, um, I would really encourage people to pump the brakes just a little bit. Like I know it's hard, but burnout is real and you're going to have so many other things that you're trying to learn and figure out those first few years. Even something as simple as it now takes me, it's an hour round trip to the grocery store. Like that's a big change, right? So all those little things add up. And when you're adjusting to a new life and a new community and potentially a new culture as well, uh, the last thing you want is to be completely burned out in your sanctuary of your home. Holy cow. So you guys both quit your jobs, but you still, you're still a hairdresser. You still work and he's still working too, right? You guys just found different places to work in your new area. 
Yeah. And when we moved out here, um, I couldn't, I couldn't have worked even if I wanted to, because salons were closed for, I don't even know how many weeks it was. It was such a weird time. And like, again, we had planned for that. Like we had set ourselves up financially. Like we were like in a position to take that time off. So that was a huge gift and privilege that we didn't have to necessarily worry too much about that at the time, but we definitely knew that eventually, you know, we would have to go back to work. Right. So I went back in October. So we had only been on the property for like, however months, many months that is, I think that's like six months. And I, I had gone back to work and then, um, Sean stayed home for another couple of years, actually, because the house we bought, we, we got a very good price on it because it needed a lot of work. So he stayed home. He worked on fixing things up around the house. He kind of did all of that stuff for a couple of years. And then, yeah, he's recently gone back to work. So that's been um, a huge adjustment for us. I don't think either of us really, well, he probably did because he was the one doing it, but he was doing so much around here. Right. So it's really tricky sometimes to try to find that balance. If you're not able to go like full-time homesteading, which I don't, I honestly don't think many people are. I think most people, even if you do have a good, healthy savings, I think people underestimate how expensive this lifestyle can be, especially in the beginning when you're getting everything set up and there's this like romanticized misconception. And I had it too, right. Where it's like, Oh, you're going to go live off the land. And like, you're not going to need anything and you won't need to buy groceries. And I'm like, it's not true. It's not maybe for some like superhuman off-grid people it is, but for most of us, it's not true. And you probably are still going to need some kind of outside income. Which brings me to the fact that you took this concept and you started your own podcast and it is a little self-reliant, which I, I love because that kind of marries that idea of, yeah, you, you may not be this superhuman off-grid homesteader who does everything from scratch and survives off of the land and what you're growing and what you're producing on your own, but that doesn't mean that you can't do something, a little bit of something for yourself to, to be a little bit more self-reliant. Talk to me a little bit about what, what made you decide that you wanted to start a podcast surrounding that whole idea. Yeah. I think it all kind of goes back to that first podcast that I found, right? Like he kind of, um, Harold, he was the modern homesteading podcast was kind of that idea too. Like he was living in the suburbs and he was doing so much on his property and I was so inspired by him. And if I hadn't found someone who had connected with me where I was at, I never would have started. So if I had been looking for gardening podcasts and had stumbled across some kind of like market gardening, you know, like farming podcast or whatever, um, I probably would have listened and like loved it, but I would have been like, oh, okay, well, that's not for me because I live in a townhouse and I would have just probably written it off. And then who knows where I'd be, right? So for me, I just, I have a just undying passion. It doesn't go away no matter what I do, um, where I just love to inspire people right where they're at. I want every single person who has the drive to just, just like you, I connected with you because of the just grow something. Right. And like, that's exactly how I feel. If, if you want to, you, you can, it may not look the way it looks on Instagram. It may not be buckets of carrots and potatoes at the end of the season. It might just be a couple pots on your apartment balcony, but that's okay. Right. Cause everybody has to start somewhere. And that feeling that you get from that, um, that pride and that like reward from providing for yourself and doing something for yourself and being a little self-reliant is something that I think 
I would love everybody to experience. And I understand that not everybody wants to, right? Like I have some good friends that are like, I love what you're doing with your life and your podcast, but like, I have zero desire. Like I want to go to the grocery store and I'm like, girl, that's okay. (laughs) Right. That is totally okay. But I think a lot of people through these last few years, through everything we've been going through collectively as a human community, um, have really realized that the systems we rely on are a little bit more fragile than I think we want to believe. And it sucks. And I hate it. Like, I really wish that wasn't the case, but I think everybody knows that now. I think we've all seen how easily things could potentially crumble. Right. And, and I'm not saying that a pot of tomatoes on your apartment balcony is going to save you, but that feeling of just knowing that, you know, how to take care of yourself. And it might even look, it doesn't even need to look like gardening. Like I talk a little bit about, I talk about raising animals, obviously, but I also talk about like, you know, preparedness, emergency preparedness or foraging is another one, right? I think preserving too falls. Totally. Totally. I think talking about the, you know, the idea of our broken sort of food systems and how Mm -hmm. things work. I think, you know, people don't even necessarily need to think of it in in terms of being self-reliant, right? but maybe community reliant. Yes. You know, if you can teach yourself or or how to preserve food and you can get that food from within your community at the time that it is available and then preserve it for yourself, that's self-reliance. That's right. Exactly as prepared as possible, you know, so maybe you can't grow it yourself, but you can connect with those in your community who do and work with them. I think that just goes hand in hand. That's, that's, yeah, that's exactly it. Right. And support, support them and look your, look your farmer or grower in the eye, right. And know what their practices were and how things were grown. And then take that delicious local nutrients, dense food home and, feed it to your family or turn it into, yeah, something that's preserved or whatever. Like that is a huge part of it as well. And that's something that I speak a lot about too, because I think when you hear self-reliance, at least for me, a certain image comes to mind of like the doomsday prepper types, you know, where it's like, I don't need anyone. I got my guns and I got my bucket of seeds and I'm going to be just fine. And it's like to each their own. Right. But the way that I am trying to like approach and inspire is more of a, like, do what you can and then connect with others and, if we could all just do a little something and like, you know, share with each other and barter with each other and trade or, or buy, right? Like I, there are certain things I can't grow here where I live and I love going to the farmer's market and it might need, might not even be from my province, but it might be from one province over that I'm buying like my peaches and then preserving those. And there's just, there's so many different things that you can do. And actually in a couple of days here, I'm releasing an episode called uh, 90 homesteading skills to build in the city. And there are there are tons of them. There's so much you can do. You can, you can turn dairy into butter and yogurt and cheese. You know, you can learn to mend your clothes. You can learn to keep things out of the landfill by shopping secondhand. Like all of those things contribute to doing a little bit more for yourself and just different ways that you can embrace self-reliance in however that looks for you. I love that. I, I look forward to that episode. That sounds, I like that a lot, a whole lot. So even, you know, and, and like you said, no fault to anybody. If, if it's just, if they're just not interested, they don't want to be doing any of this, but if they are, what would you say would be a good first step for somebody who is sitting and listening to this and going, okay, well, I have a garden and I've done that. And now I want to take the next step. What, what would that next step look like? I think it really depends on where you're at in your life. You know, whatever season you're in, you may have more time than money, or you may have more money than time, (laughs) or you may have 
you know, very little of both. And you can approach it from a frugality standpoint, you know, like um, shopping for local in-season food because it's less expensive. Like that is one way to approach it. And then, you know, preserving or dehydrating because it is a cost savings thing, right? That's one way to approach it. Same goes for shopping secondhand and doing all of that kind of stuff. Whereas perhaps getting into something like, you know, making artisan cheeses out of like really fancy milk is something that is maybe going to cost you a little more, but maybe that's where you're at in your life. And that's what you want to do, right? So I think it's a matter of looking at what is accessible to you. How much time are you willing to commit? And that's the other thing too. I think a lot of people see these like self-reliance people out in the world or on the internet or whatever. And are like, oh my God, it looks like so much work. (laughs) It's like, it is like, okay, I'm going to tell you something. My best friend once said to me, and she meant this like with nothing but love. She said, I just don't understand why people would intentionally make their lives harder. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I'm like, uh, no, yeah, I get like, that. <laughs> totally. Like this is, this is harder. It is, it would be easier to not live this way a hundred percent, but I think everybody has hobbies, right? So if you choose to have a hobby that you're going to a spend money on B spend time on and C spend like knowledge, like brain space on like learning these things and reading these books and developing these skills, then that's, that's great. It's great. If you have a hobby that produces for you and that you know, gives you that sense of purpose. Right. So I think not everybody needs to do everything, as I said earlier, but I think if you really hone in on like a couple things that you think would benefit you in whichever way you feel is important in this season of your life or whichever, it can be as simple as it's going to make you happy in this season of your life. That's what microgreens were for me that first year. Right. I was like, I just need to see something green start there. And However you like to consume information, whether there are local, uh, local classes that are available to you, that's always an option. Books at the library are an option. Podcasts and YouTube. I cannot even imagine where I would be if I didn't have podcasts and YouTube. Like I have learned so much. And the thing is, is that the information is out there. And if you are willing to put in the time to look for it, you can usually find it for free um, or for very inexpensive, let's say. But if you want like a condensed, like crash course, you know, let's learn everything really fast. That might be something that you're willing to pay for it, right? Like it's all, everyone's at a different place in their life. And I think there is room for everyone here, right? You're going to be able to find something that will make you happy, will feed your soul, will feed your family that is accessible to you. So yeah, I would, uh, I would encourage people just to get inspired. Look at those. There's articles all over. I'm certainly not the first one to come up with a you know, all the homesteading skills list, Um, but find a list and look through it and pick three things and be like, this is what I'm going to try this year and start there. And you never know where it will lead you. I had no interest in canning until I started gardening, right? I had no interest in making cheese until potentially getting goats was on the table. So, you know, all these little things that kind of, they're like little breadcrumbs that like lead you to other things. And uh, from there, it's just a big fat snowball and uh, good luck stopping. (laughs) And there's nothing that says that you, if you try something and you don't like it, that you have to keep doing it either, Totally, you know, or finding an easier way to do it. Because I can tell you my KitchenAid mixer certainly makes making butter 
you can make butter in that thing, lickety split, you can walk away and come back and all of a sudden it's there. It doesn't have to be hard. It just has to, it looks hard. And I'll let my friends think it, oh yeah, look at all this effort I put into <laughs> making this butter for you. you better Churning by hand. My, yes. Shaking the mason jar or whatever. Yeah. When yes. my, my kitchen aid, you know, my stand mixer was doing all the work, but there's, there's no, yeah, but there's no harm in trying something and deciding that it's not for you and picking something else. Totally. Yeah. And I've done that. I've tried things that I am not interested in at all. One of them is sewing. Um, I've tried sewing twice. I hate it. I hate sewing. My husband doesn't mind it so he can whatever, but like, no, I'm done. I'm not going to do that again. Right. Most of the things I try, I do like, but there are going to be things that you're going to try that either don't feel like they're worth it to you, or perhaps you don't like, you know, you don't have any use for the thing that you created or whatever. And, and that's okay. So that would be um, maybe another thing I would say is if you are starting with a brand new skill, maybe don't invest like, you know, half your life savings into it. Like maybe dip your toe in first and see kind of if you like it before you expand. But no, there is no one, um, there is no one here telling you that this is how you have to do things. And also nobody's going to come and like take your homestead badge away because you made butter in your <laughs> stand mixer, right? Like, like we're not all my angles out here because we don't have to be. And that's the beauty of, of doing this in the modern world. If you had to, you could make butter in a Mason jar. If you absolutely had to, and you wanted it bad enough, I guarantee you would. Right. But we don't have to. So, you know, if you're going to make your life harder, then maybe don't make it the hardest it has to be. Right? Take those shortcuts where they are. <laughs> Absolutely. So if there was one thing that you could go back and tell yourself when you were making the leap saying, okay, I am, I'm going to do the home setting thing. What's the one piece of advice that you would give yourself? I think I would go back and tell myself to really hone my community and do it before you, before you even feel like you need to, you know, like um, one thing I, and I, this is something I kind of did do. Um, it would have been nice if I did it a little more, but before I was out on this property, I had an Instagram account that I called townhouse homestead, which is now my main account, which is dirty paws homestead. But back in the day it was called townhouse homestead. That's where I started. And I started connecting with other people who were into this kind of stuff, you know, other weirdos who asked for chickens for Christmas, like those kind of people, you know, <laughs> and it was really comforting to know that there were other people out there like me. And, you know, you have to remember at the time I was working in a very, you know, upscale city salon and I was, you know, talking to people all day who were not interested in this kind of stuff and that's fine. But it was so nice to have that online space where I could come at the end of the day and connect with people who, who got it, you know, and who, who understood the unique struggles that go along with this lifestyle and the unique desires that come with this lifestyle. And then moving forward, you know, when you are in it and you're in the weeds and you're having a bad day on the homestead or a bad week or a bad month, as you know, we all do having that community to fall back on is something that I don't think can be understated. And again, it goes back to this whole, like, oh, you know, just take care of yourself and like self-reliance and blah, blah, blah. And what I love what you said about community reliance, because that really is what it is. And, uh, yeah, the, the connections I've been able to make most of them online, which is crazy. Like some of them are in person or have turned into in-person friendships, but for the majority, some of my closest friends right now who really get this lifestyle and understand what we're out here trying to do are people that I have met on the internet. And, um, I am grateful for them every single day because I think this would be a lot more difficult if I was trying to do it all by myself. 
Yeah. Can you imagine being Ma Ingalls out there trying no. to do it by yourself? I wouldn't, I would pass away. Like I would lay down and just be like, nope, that's enough. Like, like those women had so much grit. I, you know, I, I admire it. And I mean, I, I say I would give up, but I, you know, you would, you would probably find a way to make it work. But I just think, um, I think we actually have such a beautiful advantage these days, you know, where you can go on to Instagram and you can search a hashtag for, you know, Missouri homesteaders or Alberta homesteaders. And in there, you're going to find some of your people. And it's just, it's, uh, it's, it's such a gift. Like I am grateful every single day that, that I'm doing this today and not a hundred years ago. I think we sometimes romanticize the past as, you know, things would have been better there. And I'm sure in some ways things may have been, but I think it was really lonely back then. And the beauty of today is that it doesn't have to be lonely. So yeah, I would tell people definitely to hone their community and connect with like-minded people. And, uh, once you find your people, hold them close. Cause yeah, they're really going to be there for you on the hard days. Find your people. I'm glad you're one of my people, Ashley. I'm glad you're one of my people too. It's been such a joy. So for the listeners who want to find you and follow you and learn more about you and your homestead and your podcast, where can they do that? Well, my podcast is called A Little Self-Reliant and uh, I am on pretty much every podcast platform out there. So that is the first way. My favorite place to hang out on social media is definitely Instagram. And I run two different accounts on there. My main one where I post most of my unfiltered everyday life stuff is Dirty Paws Homestead. And then I post most of my podcast related stuff and more kind of like tips and inspiration and that kind of stuff is all on the A Little Self-Reliant Instagram. And then I also have a website, which is a little self-reliant.com. And on there is mostly blog posts and podcast stuff and uh, a way to, a way to connect with me and contact me on there if you would like as well. So yeah, that's where I hang out online. And for everybody listening, Ashley and her podcast are also part of the same Positively Farming Media podcast group that I am a part of. And so if you go to that playlist, that Spotify playlist that I always link to, you'll be able to find some of her episodes there as well. Ashley, thank you so much for being here today. I truly appreciate you coming on and telling everybody a little bit more about how they can get into homesteading. Thank you so much for having me. I, uh, yeah, I'm very grateful that we've connected through this weird and wonderful world of online gardeners and homesteaders and <laughs> all the things. Thank you for having me. See, it doesn't matter where you are or how you start. Homesteading can and does start wherever you are and with whatever you have, even a single microgreens kit. Now, as you heard in January of 2022, Ashley launched her podcast and her website, A Little Self-Reliant, which is aimed at inspiring others to embrace a bit more self-reliance no matter where they're at. Ashley discusses things like gardening, raising animals, preserving, DIY, supporting local growers, embracing sustainability, and more. I will link to the episode that she mentioned, 90 Homesteading Skills to Build in the City, in the show notes. And you can find her podcast wherever you get your podcasts and on the Positively Farming Media Podcast Network Spotify playlist, which, of course, I will also link to in the show notes. I hope this week's episodes give you a little bit more confidence to decide to do just one more thing for yourself, whether it's learning to preserve the harvest from your garden or make your own butter with your stand mixer or a mason jar. I mean, you do you or to start raising chickens for your own backyard eggs. Whatever it is, I hope you just take the leap and give it a shot. You never know where it might lead. 
Until next time, my homesteading friends, keep on cultivating that dream garden, and we'll talk again soon. You just finished another episode of the Just Grow Something podcast. For more information about today's topic, head on over to JustGrowSomethingPodcast.com for all the episodes, show notes, blog posts, discount codes, and more. Don't forget to sign up for the newsletter while you're there. You can also head to Facebook and join a community of other gardeners asking questions and sharing their experiences in the Just Grow Something Gardening Friends Facebook group. And if you want to support this show even further, head to patreon.com slash justgrowsomething to find out how. Until next time, my gardening friends, keep learning, keep growing, and we'll talk again soon.